Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. And so I have been looking for years to find out what can a woman say to her husband that has the same emotional impact on him that I love you does on a woman. And in this study, we finally found it, and it's thank you. You'll hear how simple ideas like saying thank you can maximize the happiness in your marriage. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I am really excited to air this message from Shanti Felton today and next time because she offers some great ideas that she learned from couples who have exceptional marriages. Isn't that great? Her premise is simple. The best way to have a good marriage is to find out what the extremely happy couples are doing and emulate them. And in her work as a researcher, Shanti has been able to survey thousands of married couples and then take the time to dig deeper into the relationships in which both the husband and the wife independently reported high degrees of satisfaction in their marriages. Yeah, I like that approach to what she did there. And uh, all of that research uh, ended up in Shanti's book, The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. We've got copies of that here. Uh, Please join the support team, donate as you can, and call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. And John, before we start Shanti's message, uh, let me point out that this advice is for people who have generally good marriages and just need a tune-up. Mm-hmm. It is not for people who are in a marriage that could be considered abusive. And of course, if that's your situation, we would invite you to call us for a free one-time consultation with one of our caring Christian counselors. We really uh, want to help out if that's the case. Again, the number is 800, the letter A in the word family. And here's Shanti Feldhahn speaking at a Convene conference for Christian business leaders in Southern California. It's today's episode of Focus on the Family. Thanks for coming to this session on how to make a happy marriage. For all of you who are, well, pretty much everybody here, you're an influencer. You have, as I was telling the people in the last breakout session, you have been given this incredible gift um, by God of being put in a, a position to really influence others, to influence the people who work with you, to influence our culture in a way that a lot of people don't have. And one of the things that means for you is that you also really need to be attuned to being an influence in how your personal life runs. Um, Because we all know that, um, especially as believers, especially as those who try to follow the ways of Christ, we all know that our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ in the church. We all know that our marriage is supposed to look like the closeness that, that the Trinity have with each other, that, you know, God says, this is me and Jesus. And, and sometimes it feels like that, and sometimes it doesn't. And so I've been studying what are the things that make it feel like that? What are the things that are going to lay the really, really great foundation? Because sometimes when you get into issues in your marriage, it can just feel like a snowball that just feels really hopeless. There are a lot of, it looks like really big issues, almost insurmountable. How are we going to solve this? And they look so big and overwhelming that sometimes it's easier to kind of just back off and focus on work or focus on the kids or whatever it is and not necessarily be able to focus on putting that strong foundation back underneath us. And when we're in, like I said, when we're having marriage issues, it can seem big and overwhelming. 
it can seem like there's all these things that we have to do. And instead, there is a, a principle here that is incredibly important about looking for the bright spots and seeing what those role models, the people who have the happiest marriages, have to teach us. The first and the most important thing that the research found that is actually a prerequisite for a happy marriage, we don't think you can be happily married without this, that is that these happy couples chose to believe the best of their spouse's intentions even when they were legitimately hurt. The happy couples chose to believe the best of their spouse's intentions even when they were legitimately hurt. Everybody gets hurt. Every couple, even the most happily married couples, hurt each other's feelings. I love what one guy said when we were interviewing them, and they said, you know, you've got to realize that even the most awesome, godly Christian husband and wife can be a jerk sometimes. Everybody hurts each other's feelings sometimes. The issue is what you choose to believe about your spouse's intentions towards you when that happens. Because it is natural, it is a human tendency for us to naturally think, and let me, like, putting myself in a wife's point of view, if Jeff, my husband, if he hurts my feelings, it is a natural thing to subconsciously think, you know, kind of this, ow, like, he knew who, how that would make me feel, and he said it anyway. And you don't realize it, but subconsciously what you're thinking is, he doesn't care about me. But we found that statistically, the vast majority of people do care. And the happy couples didn't do that. They switched it. So instead, when the hurt came, it was, ow, but no, no, I know he loves me. I know he cares about me, so he must not have known how that would make me feel or he wouldn't have said it and they switch it in their brain. Same thing with the husbands. It's a common thought for husbands subconsciously to think, nothing I do is ever good enough for her, okay? And no, no, I know she appreciates me, so she must not realize how that makes me feel. And that switch is what is 100% necessary to have the most happy and abundant marriage. And it actually matches with um, some of the studies that have been done that I think are fascinating. There was a study that was done by um, a professor at the University of Maryland. And what these college students did, is, or what the uh, scientists did, is they had these students hooked up, they had these kids hooked up to all these electrodes to measure their physiological responses. And they also had a device that had a cord that would run behind a partition and it would administer an electric shock, like a painful electric shock to these kids. And um, the kids were told one of three different things about the person on the other side that was hitting the button that was administering electric shock. Some of them were told that, yeah, you know, they know that this is gonna administer a shock, but they think it's gonna help you win money if they do this. So it's sort of good intentions towards them, right? The second group was told, oh gosh, you know, that button, it's sort of in the wrong place and people just hit it accidentally, I'm sorry. You know, sort of that it was random. It wasn't intentional, it was un unknown. The third group was told that, yeah, they kinda know they're hitting the button and they think it's kinda fun, <laughs> you know, to cause you some pain, right? So not good intentions. 
the level of the voltage, the shock, was exactly the same across all three groups, exactly the same. The physiological responses were totally different. If the people thought they were trying to help them win money, the shock registered, the pain registered at a fairly low level. If they were told that it was an accident, it was a little bit higher. And if they were told it was on purpose, the pain was higher. The physiological response was worse just because they thought that person had bad intentions. It works the exact same way in marriage. Your feelings will be hurt. You need to choose to believe that they didn't mean to do it that way, that they care about you. And the good thing is that's not just wishful thinking. We found on the survey that something like 99.37 something something percent of people deeply care about their spouse, even, by the way, this might shock you, it sort of shocked us, even in the most struggling marriages, even in the marriages where they were at the most sort of desperate place in their marriage, it was something like 97 point something. Almost everybody cares. The key is whether you choose to believe it. So let's move on to the next topic. The next, um, the next issue is that we found that one of the secrets of the most happily married couples was something that, again, they didn't really realize that they were doing. Some people were doing this on purpose, but often it was just sort of something they had discovered worked and it was just a part of sort of daily life. Um, and that is that the wives all tended to do the same five little things for their husbands, and the husbands tended to do the same five little things for their wives. And so what happened was, as each spouse did these little things without half the time even realizing that they were doing them or they were a big deal, what was happening in the heart of their spouse is it was building up this feeling, subconsciously, this is all subconscious, building up this feeling that my spouse cares about me. And building up this reservoir of goodwill so that when those inevitable shocks happened, it was easier to believe the best of their spouse because they know that they are cared for. They feel cared for. So what were those things? We don't have time to get into all of them right here, um, but let me just mention a couple on each side. The, the um, happy wives for the husbands, they tended to tell their husbands, thank you a lot. We had been looking for years and years and years after having discovered in the study of men um, something that is no surprise to any man, but is a surprise to most women, that men have a completely different insecurity running under the surface than we women do. And that if we women, if our insecurity, our question is like, am I lovable and does he really love me? The men's question is more, am I able? Like, am I any good at what I do? And there's a lot of insecurity around that. And we as women don't realize you big strong men look so strong and confident and on the inside you're kind of like, uh, I want to be a great husband but I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. 
At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. I'm here asking people how they could both give and get. I don't know, maybe love? Yeah, you could both give and get love. True, but it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. And so the need of men is to feel appreciated and respected, like my wife trusts me. So I would follow my husband around the house and be like, oh, honey, I respect you so much. And after a while, my poor husband was like, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just, like, I know what you're trying to do, but it doesn't have the same ring to it. And so I had been looking for years to find out what can a woman say to her husband that has the same emotional impact on him that I love you does on a woman. And in this study, we finally found it, and it's thank you. And it makes perfect sense, ladies, because if a man really has so much self-doubt, if that really is in our big, strong man, and if the question really is, man, I want to be good at this, but I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing, then what could be more powerful than saying, I noticed what you did, and it was good, and I appreciate it. And that's what thank you says. It hits all these notes, and it's the little things of life, not necessarily the big ones. It's thank you for noticing that the light bulbs were out and changing them. Thanks for coming home early to take the kids to soccer. You know, when I wasn't feeling well, thank you for, I know you were tired and you took the kids out into the yard and you played ball anyway. You're such a good dad. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we have no idea how much that fills up a man in every way that he needs to be filled. These happy couples, the wives, half the time, they didn't even realize it was such a big deal to their husband, but it was one of the main reasons why they were so happy. Um, Another thing that the wives tended to do for the husbands is, let's just say that he knew that she desired him sexually. She had shown him that she desired him sexually. And that was actually something that either it was something that was a big deal to her, so it was a big deal to them as a couple, or she knew that it was something that really mattered to her husband. And so she was making sure that she was thinking about making that a priority. And I wish we could go into more of the detail about what physical intimacy means to our husbands. We just don't have the time for that here. But suffice it to say that we women think of it as in marriage as being primarily a physical need. And it turns out that statistically for men, actually, it's the importance of it is primarily an emotional need to feel desired by his wife. And then that gives a man a sense of confidence and a sense of well-being in all the other areas of his life. Um, That's something that is so unknown to so many of us as women. Now, for some women, we're flipped on this. There's plenty of couples where it's the wife who has the higher libido. 
But the, in the majority of cases, this is an area that absolutely tells our husband, I care about you and gives him that certainty as sort of a buffer against the shocks of marriage. Okay, so flipping it, those are the little things that the wives tend to do for the husbands. Like I said, there were more of them. I wish we had time to get into them. The, the next, the parallel um, side of things is what the husbands tended to do for the wives. And this is an area, again, where sometimes it was just a sort of a subconscious thing, but the, the husbands tended to show their wives physical signs of affection when they were out in public. And it's not like, yeah, I'm doing this because I want sex later. <laughs> it was literally like the husbands would reach across and take their wife's hand when they were walking across a parking lot. Or when they were sitting together at church or they were at dinner and they were some public place and they were sitting together, the husband would just reach over and put his arm around her in church. And now, by the way, as a quick aside, when you see the other person do these things that I've been mentioning later, you know, when she looks for something and says thank you or you're sitting at church and he puts his arm around you, Ladies or guys, you're not allowed to say, you are only doing that because she told you to, <laughs> right? Believe the best when your spouse tries those things. And, and guys, just be aware, we're talking about these little things. They really do. Another, another um, little sign that, um, that really mattered to show your love for your wife was things like, texting her or leaving her a voicemail during the day, just as almost that, you know, you have that flash, you're pretty busy at work, but every now and then like a flash comes across your brain of, you know, how much you care about her. And you, if what the women said is if literally you'll take 10 seconds and send that text message right when you're thinking of it to say, you know, I can't wait to come home to you. I love you so much. It'll take you 10 seconds. But the women said things like, I saved that voicemail, <laughs> you know, it, because it's a little thing, guys, but it really does matter. So that's one of the types of things that the, the happy husbands tended to do for the wives. Another thing is going to sound kind of funny, but every woman in the room knows how much this matters. Guys, you don't realize it, but when you have had a bad day or the two of you are a little bit at odds, you, you men can sometimes walk around with a black cloud hanging over your head. Something is triggered in your wife that you have no idea is there. And it's a really important principle. And if you can grasp this, it changes everything. Just like if women can grasp just how much self-doubt is inside their man and speak into that, it changes everything. See, guys, what you don't realize about your wives is that she doesn't feel permanently loved just because you said, I do. For you, when you get married, the question of whether she loves me is kind of, that's sort of it. Like, it just doesn't come up in your head, really. And guys, you need to know, just because she walked down the aisle and you said your I do's, it's not like, okay, on to the next thing. Like, there is no switch in a woman's brain that gets flipped to the, oh, I feel permanently loved position. And that she has this question, just like you do, that is still there. Your question is, like I said, it's 
Am I able? Am I adequate? Do I measure up? Am I any good at what I do? Do I have what it takes? That question is in there. It's probably the result of the fall, right? It's just in there for you as a man. For her, the question is, am I lovable? Am I special? Am I beautiful? And that does not change just because she got married to you. In marriage, it just morphs to, does he really love me? Would he really love somebody like me? And if there's an issue, if there's a black cloud of doom following around, if you've had a conflict, that question gets triggered and it's rising up and it's that you had that argument over breakfast and it's roiling in, his, in her gut and it's this, ah, uh, are we okay? And it's a feeling like nothing is right with the world until that is resolved. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? It is such a subtle and incredibly potent feeling. And so guys, just think about it this way. When you have that argument over breakfast, you're emotionally, there's a problem, you're like mad, and you've got to get to work. You've got a client meeting, you got to go. You get in the car, you back out of the driveway to go to work, and as you're driving away, what happens to the thought of that argument? Guys, click, it disappears, it's gone, right? Ladies, in your mind, is it gone? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, guys, what's happened is that underground question has risen up and that's the, uh, are we okay? And that is gonna be roiling in her gut until she is reassured. A powerful message of love to your wife is what the happy husbands did, sometimes without even realizing that it was such a big deal, which is when you've had that conflict, to say something like, before you walk out the door, to say something like, look, I'm angry, black cloud of doom, (laughs) I'm angry, I need to get to work, I need some space, I can't even talk right now, but listen, I want you to know, we're okay Oh, it's a huge issue for your wife. And even huger if you will recognize that the black cloud of doom itself can cause that insecurity and work to pull yourself out of that funk and shake it off so that when you come back after work or when you come back an hour later from your workshop or whatever it is, that you're okay again. That is a priceless priceless signal of love, even though you didn't realize that it was. So write down the words, we're okay. And that's huge. Just like thank you is for a man. Some really enlightening marriage tips from Shanti Feldhahn today on Focus on the Family. This is eye-opening stuff, John, and I think if our wives were in the studio with us, they'd say, yes, she nailed it. (laughs) And I so appreciate Shanti's ability to break down these ideas for a great marriage uh, into simple concepts that all of us can use every day. And I know for Gene and I, you know, if we have a little disagreement, I can say, don't worry, we're going to be okay. And that really assures her that we're good. And I know that I really feel good when she thanks me for doing something simple, like taking out the trash. We guys like to be heroes, even in those small ways. Yeah. And it's a simple thing of uh, encouraging each other in the small stuff. 
when Dina says, hey, thanks for fixing that or, or taking the trash out, uh, you know, to that example, I feel like, yeah, I'm a better husband. I'm a better <laughs> yeah. guy. I don't it know works. why. And it's such a powerful motivator. And the opposite is true, too. If we feel like we can't do anything right in our wives' eyes, hmm. uh, we lose heart and we basically stop trying. We just feel defeated. And that is not a good dynamic uh, to have in a marriage. Uh, let me remind you that today's program was intended to encourage those of you who have a reasonably healthy marriage that just needs a little tune-up. And a great place to start is our website. We have a free marriage assessment that is a quick quiz designed to help you see the strengths and weaknesses of your relationship. Yeah, we've taken that. It's an easy assessment, (laughs) maybe five to seven minutes. It really has some great insights for you. And uh, we'll link over to it at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Now, if your marriage is in serious trouble, uh, please give us a call for a free consultation with one of our caring Christian counselors. We have marriage specialists who will give you a call back, spend some time with you on the phone, and then refer you to a like-minded counselor in your area if that's what you need. Yeah, we're here to help. And our number again, 800, the letter A and the word family. And I should note that our counseling team might recommend that you attend one of our Hope Restored intensives. Uh, They have an 80% success rate with marriages that are in dire straits, uh, sometimes oftentimes, actually, on the brink of divorce. That's right. And uh, Hope Restored is a truly unique ministry to marriages using a four-day intensive strategy that can replace years of weekly counseling. And that's made possible through the support of our donors who are able to do ministry and help marriages with their monthly giving to focus on the family. So let me invite you to join our team, be an active supporter of marriages by making a monthly pledge. It doesn't have to be a large amount. It's that consistency that helps us month to month. And when you make a pledge of any amount, I'd like to send you a copy of Shanti's book, The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. And if a monthly commitment won't work for you right now, we understand that. We can send the book to you for a one-time gift of any amount. And the book really does make a great follow-up to uh, today's presentation. And in fact, there was one online reviewer, Jim, I thought this was funny. He called himself Grumpy Old Guy. He (laughs) said the book was one of the most useful and succinct marriage books he's ever read. And I'm going to quote him here. He said, no filler or fluff, just great ideas for husbands and wives. <laughs> that's, that's the endorsement, right? Uh, get your copy of Shanti's book from us today. Yeah, and you can do that when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or donate and request your copy of The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend to listen in next time as Shanti Feldhahn continues offering practical encouragement for your marriage. We found that no matter what the happy couples, how they viewed each other, all the things that they did, one of the primary things that they considered about the other person was they considered that their spouse was their best friend. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Today on Focus on the Family, Shanti Feldhahn shares some simple ways to improve your marriage, like this. 
another um, little sign that really mattered to show your love for your wife was things like texting her or leaving her voicemail during the day. Just, you know, how much you care about her and you, if what the women said is if literally you'll take 10 seconds and send that text message right when you're thinking of it to say, you know, I can't wait to come home to you. I love you so much. It'll take you 10 seconds. But the women said things like, I saved that voicemail, <laughs> you know, it, because it's a little thing, guys, but it really does matter. You'll hear more ideas from our guests that you can try today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, as we explained last time, Shanti Feldhahn has spent years studying uh, research findings from thousands of married couples and has interviewed hundreds of couples who have extremely strong and happy relationships. Uh, Shanti believes that the best way to have a good marriage is to copy what happy couples are already doing, and that's what she is sharing with us again today. And if you missed part one of Shanti's presentation last time, uh, get in touch with us. We can send you the entire message on CD or an audio download, or you can get the Focus on the Family app for your smartphone. It's all available at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. This is a very encouraging message for couples who are in a pretty good place but just need a little tune-up. If you need more serious help, please give us a call and we'll help you navigate that. Yeah, and again, the number to contact is 800, the letter A, and the word family. And let me mention that this content is covered in Shanti's book, which we have here, The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. Well, here's Shanti Feldhahn speaking at a convened conference for Christian business leaders in Southern California on today's Focus on the Family. Okay, next topic, next little thing that we found, next secret of the happy couples that I want to tackle. Um, This one actually cracked me up because this is a perfect example of where what the happy couple said to do sometimes was at complete odds with what they actually did. When Jeff and I were doing the research, um, you know, we would, one of the ways that we would arrange interviews was if we were going to speak in a particular city, we would tell the, um, the organizer, you know, the honorarium, the travel expenses, like we'd go through all of that. And oh, by the way, because we're in the middle of this research project, one of the other things we need to do is to have you arrange three or four interviews, hour-long interviews, with one of the couples in your church that's the most happily married couple um, that we can interview. And we just would dig into their lives and what their story was. And we wanted to get over, at the very beginning, before we dug into what their habits were, we wanted to find out what their advice was. Because these happily married couples are asked for their advice all the time. And so we wanted to get it out on the table, sort of get it over with. Like, what do you think your secrets of why you're so happily married are? Which was, you know, helpful. But almost always one of the top three was, it's really important to not go to bed mad. It's really, really important to not go to bed mad. And so I would always say, oh yes, um, absolutely. I totally agree. But, um, do you ever go to bed mad? Well, it's a really important principle, you know, and we tell the young couples that when we do premarital counseling, you know, it's like, no, 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 I get it. I get that it's a really important principle, but that's not actually what I'm asking, Mr. and Mrs. Happy Couple. What I really want to know is whether you personally, do you ever go to bed mad? Well, you know, sometimes when we tell people this, and it's like, no, no, I get it. And then finally, 
we would say, no, I just want to know, do you go to bed mad? And they always said yes. We found out of a, there were a thousand couples in this study group, we found three of the happy couples that said they never went to bed mad. Because in reality, what they had learned is that there were times where you have two upset, exhausted, angry people who are trying to duke something out at one in the morning. At some point, nothing good is going to come from that point on, right? And then we found what I thought was one of the biggest aha moments, the most important pieces of this puzzle. It turns out the most important thing isn't what they did the night before. The most important thing is what they did the next day. It turns out that when you wake up in the morning, half the time, you kind of find that having a good night's sleep sort of solved the thing. And you wake up and you're like, what was that about? <laughs> right? But they found that if that issue was still there the next day, the happy couples didn't let it go. They addressed it. Now, I will tell you that this was an occasion of great angst for me as I was recognizing what I was hearing. Because in every single one of these other studies, what we found through this rigorous scientific approach backed up what the Bible had said all along. We found the exact same thing scripture has been saying all along. And suddenly in this one, I was really conflicted because all of those happy couples all referenced Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? It's really important to not let the sun go down on your anger. They all said that. And so I was really wrestling with this as both a social scientist and a follower of Jesus. And finally, a pastor who was also a counselor, when I was explaining how conflicted I was, he started laughing. He was like, I need to show you something. And he pulled out that verse in Ephesians in, in, his, in his old-fashioned printed Bible as opposed to the ones that's on your phone, right? He pointed to that verse and he said, look at that little carrot. You know how sometimes you see in the Bibles, there's a little star or a little cross and it references to another scripture. There's a tie there. I had never noticed this before, but Paul, when he was saying this, he was actually quoting a verse in the Old Testament. He was quoting a verse in the Psalms to his audience, which his audience would have been very familiar with. And the context of the overall verse is, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, okay? He was quoting Psalms 4.4. You can go look it up. He was quoting Psalms 4.4. Psalms 4.4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Think about it overnight and remain silent. (laughs) And so the apparent issue is, in your anger, don't sin, If you need to duke it out at one in the morning to not sin in your anger, do that. But if you need to think about it overnight so you don't sin in your anger, do that. Because that was one of the things that a lot of the happy couples had found is that somebody would say something that they regretted the next morning. Someone would agree to something that they felt like railroaded into and they'd resent it the next day. And that in reality, that there is a benefit in waiting And actually getting a good night's sleep, and then if the issue is still there, to deal with it. Now, I will make a little note to all the husbands in the room. For your wife, if the equivalent of the black cloud of doom is hanging over your head when it's late at night and you're arguing, 
you may be able to click that off and go to sleep. She's going to be staring at the ceiling all night, okay? It's really important before you go to sleep to resolve that by being able to say, look, we're okay. We just, I need to sleep, but we're okay. So just a quick note about that. Okay, moving on. Next topic that we found was really, really impactful. So um, I want to tell you an example of um, a couple that we talked to who did something, and I'm going to ask you to diagnose. I'm going to tell you this little story. I'm going to ask you to diagnose what he was doing. So I would always ask these couples, it was kind of fun actually, the happy couples, I would always ask them to take me through their last argument, (laughs) their last fight, and hope that, you know, we weren't causing marriage problems when they drove away (laughs) from talking to us. Um, But one of the guys, this was a very typical situation. When we said, take us through a last fight, he said, I'll just tell you something that's happened a few days ago. He had apparently been working really long hours, like 70, 80 hour weeks, because his company was trying to land this um, big deal, this big contract. And it was all culminating in on Thursday morning at like six o'clock in the morning, he was going to get on the plane and go to some other city and sign this massive contract. So weeks and weeks and weeks, Thursday morning, he was going to get on a plane. On Wednesday, he had been working so many hours, he hadn't had a time to get to the dry cleaners. And so he had no clean shirts for this trip. Um, And so his wife, they had three little kids. And so he called his wife multiple times and said, look, are you sure you're going to be able to get to the dry cleaners? Because if you can't, I can, but I have to because I have no shirts for this trip. And she's like, yes, honey, yes, it's fine. And he's like, are you sure? He called her three times to offer three times because he said she could be a little scatterbrained and forget the things and running around with the kids. And she said, no, no, I got it, I got it. He said, I arrived home at 10 o'clock at night to find the dry cleaners was closed and she'd forgotten to get the shirts. And he said, I was so mad. I said, okay, what'd you do? He's like, this is when I always have to diagnose what's going on. He's like, you know, you don't even want to know what I was thinking. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) I want to know exactly what you're thinking. And so here's what he said he did. He's like, I went stomping downstairs. I was so upset. Apparently he does um, carpentry, like as sort of a a way of like a hobby or whatever. So he said, I went stomping downstairs to my workshop and I'm down there with the pieces of wood and I've got a rubber mallet and I'm pounding the wood together. And I'm like, okay, what are you thinking? And he said, I'm thinking I'm so furious because I asked her three times and she does this all the time. And he was like explaining this. And then he said, but that's not really fair because I know the kids were sick and the baby was you know, needing to go to the doctor and then she had to stand in line at the pharmacist's office and then have to go all the way across town for the other medicines and, you know, he's going on and on and on. And and then, you know, she had still had to go to the grocery store and make us dinner and she always makes us dinner no matter what's going on. Every night she makes sure to make dinner no matter how late I'm home and she's such a good wife and why am I being such a jerk? Do you see what he did? Diagnose for me, what did he just do? wasn't just that he forgave her. He started thinking about the positive to talk himself out of being mad. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. 
We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. That's something that we found the happy couples did, not universally, but in huge numbers, that they focused on the things that were good and excellent and lovely and worthy of praise rather than the things that were worthy of driving them crazy. Ephesians 4, 8. Excuse me. Philippians 4, 8. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Sorry. Philippians 4, 8. In the middle of something that was a legitimate concern, they focused on the good things to talk themselves out of being mad. This was, to me... This was a powerful, powerful um, surprise, a powerful mechanism because it is so easy for us when we are upset, legitimately upset and legitimately angry, we can, it's not just that we can stew on something, it's truly that we can talk ourselves further and further and further into being upset about this and further and further and further into hopelessness when instead an answer can be as close as finding the good that is there all along and focusing on that, even though this other thing is still out here, focusing on that thing that's going to change our minds, that's every bit as real as a thing that's driving us crazy. Incredibly important for us to sort of put that type of thinking cap on when we're upset. And the problem is, is when we're upset is when we least want to do that, right? When we're upset is when it's really easy to want to wallow in being upset. So the question is, do you want to wallow or do you want a happy marriage? Because it looks like those two things are mutually exclusive. And it makes all the difference in the world if you will focus on the positive. I'll give you a little example of this. So Jeff, um, we have had many marriage issues in years past because I am unfortunately (laughs) in our marriage, I am the messy one and Jeff is the neat one. And so for any of you women out here who are the neat ones and you're frustrated that your husband is messy at times, can I just beg for grace on the part of the messy person in the relationship, um, because it, it's just not a thing for me. It's just, I didn't get that gene. Um, and I, I hope my mom never sees this video, but like my mom is the most amazing, wonderful human being on the planet, but she didn't know how to keep things neat either, so I never learned it. Literally, when I was 12 years old, we were out walking the neighborhood, and um, we came home to find police cars in front of our home. And another neighbor, a friend, had come over to have a cup of coffee or something. 
and had called the police because she thought our house had been ransacked. I never learned how to keep a neat house. And I try. It's not that bad. (laughs) You know, I try. But it would drive Jeff absolutely crazy that I would pile up mail on the island or whatever. Or, you know, the kids' Legos and toys would be over the, you know, living room floor. Or my shoes would be sitting in the kitchen where they had no right to be or whatever. And it would just bug him so much. And he would pray and ask God, help me figure out how to deal with this. And then one day, he felt like the Lord said, look at those Legos. Look at those shoes. Look at that mail stacked up on the island. Yeah, that drives you crazy. But that's a sign that you have a wonderful wife who adores you and two little kids who think you are the best thing ever. And you could be living in a perfectly neat, pristine apartment back in Boston and be all alone. And he said it completely took away that that malaise, that black cloud of doom that was about that issue. And I would encourage you guys Whatever that issue is that drives you crazy, when you get into an argument, stop yourself the next time and look for those things that are excellent and lovely and worthy of praise and focus on that. You'll find that it actually stops that train of thought even before it gets started. Okay, final thing. So one of the, one of the other topics, really simple, um, is that we found that no matter what the happy couples, how they viewed each other, all the things that they did, one of the primary things that they considered about the other person was they considered that their spouse was their best friend. And no matter what, they treated their spouse first and foremost like a best friendship. Now, studies have been done on what makes somebody best friends? What are the the things that actually make you able to be best friends with somebody? The great, and the studies have found the greatest predictor of friendship is absolutely not what you would think it is. If I were to ask you guys the greatest predict, what do you think the greatest predictor of friendship is? You'd probably say the same things that I did. I, because I would have said, I don't know, you know, shared attitudes, Um, similar temperaments, similar values, you know, those kinds of things. And instead, those are a distant second, third, and fourth. The number one predictor of friendship is geographic proximity. You are the best friends with the people that you see the most often. And we all know that's true because we've all had really, really close friends who moved away or we moved away. And you still care about each other. You still love each other, but you just don't see each other as often. You're just not as, you're not as intimate. You're not as close. And it works the exact same way in marriage is that the most happily married couples, regardless, and they were, there were couples who were deployed. There were couples who traveled away from each other for business all the time in this group regardless of what their lifestyle was, they made it a point 
to treat each other like best friends who had to see each other or talk or communicate often in order to keep their friendship with each other tight. And this is honestly one of the things that happens when you get into tension with the other person. It's really easy to want to avoid the other person so you avoid the conflict. And actually, that's the worst thing that you can do. The happy couples, instead of avoiding the temptation to avoid each other, they spent more time together, not less, to rebuild their friendship. Um, Final little example, I was talking to one of the women who had been in a really, really troubled marriage. I mean, to the point that they were really seriously considering divorce, and the only thing keeping them together was they had three little kids, and they didn't want to give up on this vow they'd made before God. And she said, I looked at our calendar, and I looked at how much time each week, these three little kids were very busy, and um, they were very busy. She said, I looked at how much time each week we spent together just talking, just hanging out as friends, the way we used to, kind of. Not dealing with, you know, schedules and logistics, but just talking. She said it was about 15 minutes a week. And she's like, no wonder we're having these marriage problems. We, we're not even friends anymore. We don't even like each other. And so she looked at her schedule and she said, what can I do to change it? And there was very little without rearranging everything. But she realized twice a week, her husband took their seven-year-old to t-ball practice twice a week. And she said, there is no reason in the world that I have to load up the two younger children to drive with him to t-ball twice a week, except that is 20 minutes there on the way and 20 minutes back twice a week. And she said at the beginning, that is all she changed, and it completely changed their marriage because they were now spending that extra 40 minutes, those two days, just talking and sharing and catching up, and they started to like each other again. And that one thing allowed the spark of a lot of the other things that had to happen in order to restore their marriage. I would really encourage you um, to look from, if you have a good marriage and want to make it great, spend more time together. If you have a marriage that's struggling in some areas, spend more time together, just as friends. You'll see the difference that it makes. Um, So I really, uh, thank you guys for coming to this. I know we're out of time. I really, really hope that you guys will realize out of everything that we've said, let me just leave you with this note, this thought. Everything that we've said, I hope you see how incredibly simple these things are. Even just one of them will make a big difference. So my suggestion for you is pick one. Don't try to do them all. Just pick one and you'll see the difference that it makes. And that concludes our presentation on Focus on the Family featuring Shanti Feldon. John, this has been such a great uh, two-part message from Shanti. Uh, Let me recap the main points for those who tuned in late. Uh, Based on her research with thousands of married couples, Shanti offered these simple ideas to improve your marriage. Uh, For wives, she noted that men need to feel respected and appreciated, so thanking your husband for everyday tasks is very important. Saying things like, thank you for changing that light bulb, boy, that one hits home, (laughs) actually benefits your marriage. Uh, Shanti also noted that men have an emotional need to feel sexually desired by their wives. It's not just a physical thing, so wives need to think of that as a high priority. For husbands, uh, Shanti explained that most women feel very insecure about how lovable they are. So whenever there's tension or conflict in your relationship, 
It's important for men to reassure their wives that they still love them in spite of the current difficulty. Shanti provided some great insights into the Bible verse that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which results in lots of couples fighting until the wee hours of the morning. A pastor pointed out that's actually a reference to Psalm 4, 4, which says, in your anger, do not sin. Think about it overnight and remain silent. He said the emphasis is on not sinning when you're angry, and it's okay to think about it overnight if that's what you need. And Shanti found that most of the extremely happy couples were able to do exactly that. Set the argument aside for the night and sleep on it. That is really good advice. And I think uh, certainly we experienced some of that dynamic where we felt obligated to fix the conflict right then and there and to work it out even though we were too tired to think straight or to feel right. Well, exactly. Uh, Shanti also pointed out that we can talk ourselves into being mad at our spouse by stewing about mm. their faults, or we can talk ourselves out of being angry by remembering their best characteristics. We can choose to emphasize the positive in our marriage, is her point. And Shanti's uh, final example was that we should treat our spouse like we would our best friend and press into the relationship when times are tough. Uh, we need to resist the temptation to punish our spouse by avoiding them and creating distance in our marriage. That is never helpful. Well, I'd say she's right based on uh, my own personal experience, <laughs> right. Jim. Well, I like that best friend analogy because if you treat your spouse like your best friend, you will give them the benefit of the doubt because you trust them. That's why you're best friends. And of course, we're talking here about marriages that are generally healthy, not abusive. If you're in that kind of situation, uh, please give us a call for a free consultation with one of our caring Christian counselors. Yeah, we have lots of help here for that kind of a situation. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Uh, resources as well, uh, and you can reach out online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And let me encourage everyone to visit us online and check out our free marriage assessment tool. It's a fun quiz that will help you identify the strengths and the weaknesses of your relationship so that you can enhance your marriage in the areas that you need help in. Almost one million people have taken the assessment, and we're so glad we can provide insights into relationships and supply follow-up resources that will help. That's only possible because of the generosity of you, our donors. We are so thankful for you. And if you'd like to support marriages through Focus on the Family, let me encourage you to become a monthly donor. Any amount, large or small, is a great help to us, especially when it's on a consistent monthly basis. And you can do that when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or donate online and request your copy of Shanti's book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Remember to check out our free marriage assessment when you're uh, at our website. It really is uh, illuminating about where you're doing well in your relationship and maybe an area or two of growth. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. 